Welcome to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, the show designed to help make middle age your prime time of life by defying the notion that once you reach 40, 50, or even 60 years old, your crowning achievements are all behind you. Regardless of whether you're just approaching 40 or are firmly entrenched in your middle years, it's time to launch your very own personal journey toward a joyful and purpose-filled second half of life. Each week, host Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, will discuss the challenges common to middle age and help guide you to a brighter tomorrow. Now, here's Roy. Imagine the horror. You wake up one morning only to discover that the bulk of your family financial assets is gone. All that money you saved and entrusted to your financial advisor was funneled into a Ponzi scheme. Your money was used to pay off earlier investors, and the scheme has collapsed. And if you're lucky, after several years of litigation and receivership, you may receive back pennies on your dollar. Perhaps you caught the new HBO movie, Wizard of Lies, all about the biggest swindler of all times, Bernard Madoff. Hard to believe, but Madoff took in over $60 billion in his Ponzi scheme from wealthy individuals, a number of charities, even some municipalities. And until the 2008 market collapse, annual requests for withdrawals were modest and orderly, so Madoff was able to easily pay requested withdrawals from new contribution as his uh, funds grew. And Bernie Madoff admitted himself that he hadn't actually traded since the early 1990s. And as of today, those unfortunate parties invested with Madoff when his fund collapsed in 2008 still haven't received back a single penny. The good news, Bernie Madoff is in prison for 150 years, so you and I don't need to worry about his scam any longer. The bad news, my next guest certified financial planner and former financial services industry executive Bill Francavilla warns there are many more Bernie Madoffs out there after your life savings and mine. In fact, scam artists and frauds steal over $100 billion from Americans each year. Wow. Can you believe it? In the financial services industry alone, 52,000 advisors were disciplined for misconduct in 2016, and equally disturbing, 44% of those terminated by their firms for misconduct were back working at another financial firm within one year. So much for industry self-policing. And uh, shouldn't you ask yourself, how well do I know my advisor, his or her history and qualifications? And Bill Francavilla is here today to help us identify predatory advisors and how to avoid being taken uh, by the next Bernie Madoff. And Bill Francavilla is a certified financial planner and corporate executive with over 30 years' experience in the financial services industry. He retired from Leg Mason as senior vice president and director of corporate wealth management, and he's author of the upcoming book, The Madoffs Among Us, How to Spot a Fraud, Make Better Financial Decisions, and Protect Your Future. And hello, Bill. It's indeed an honor to have you here today on such a timely subject. Well, Roy, thank you so much for the invitation. And that's a, a, a very concise backdrop to the problem. Uh, you, you put it uh, very uh, succinctly. Yes, Bernie Madoff is incarcerated in North Carolina. He's no longer a threat. But unfortunately, there are a number of threats that exist 
today. It's not going to go away. Um, and I encourage people to learn as much as they can about this topic so that they are not victimized. Well, Bernie Madoff's scheme was funded by some very bright people, wealthy individuals, uh, professionals investing for charities and municipalities. Why do smart people like these, even pros, fall prey to schemes like Madoff's? Well, um, if we could devoid ourselves of emotion, if we could make more intelligent, <laughs> tough, isn't it, Roy? If we could make more articulate, intelligent decisions based on facts and just push back the temptation to buy on greed and sell on fear and to do what the crowd is going yeah. to do. What, what Bernie did very cleverly, and, and this is a constant among so many of these people who um, they just victimize so many other people. Yeah. Um, they're very charming. Yeah. And they let other people sell their business for them. And that was yeah. clearly the case with Bernie Madoff. He had some panache. He had uh, a, a large degree of charisma. Uh, yeah. I, I actually know a gentleman. He's a colleague of mine. And he lived in the same complex as Bernie Madoff. Oh, wow. So my friend would see Bernie Madoff at lunch and dinner at the club yeah. and so on and so forth. And Jim, my friend, said he was the most unassuming, charming individual <laughs> you would ever want to know. Yeah, so people were attracted you can to see him. how he uh, attracted oh. people. At the, plus, which he had that, uh, obviously it was fake, but it, <laughs> such a consistent return while everyone else uh, went up exactly. and down. His funds just kept going up and up and up on paper. And, and that's improbable. That just yeah. doesn't happen. And, 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 but everyone was, uh, they were so taken in. Oh, my money's with Bernie. Uh, I, I, yeah. you, you lost 12% last year. I was up 8%. Yeah. How does that happen when you're invested in the same securities? It doesn't. You're right. You're right, Roy. Well, I speak for myself and millions of other smart folks like our listeners with careers, families, social obligations, most of us don't have time or expertise to manage our own financial portfolios and need professional advice. What are the five most important questions to ask a present or a potential financial advisor great. before you entrust him or her with your hard-earned savings? Great, great. great. Um, the questions are more conversations than anything else. For instance, I want to know, from my financial advisor, I want to know about his or her experience. So one of the most important questions is, tell me about your experience in the financial services business. Yeah. In other words, how long have you been doing this? Yeah. Have you been with the same firm? Uh, tell me more about uh, your investment approach. Uh, a second question would be, talk to me about any industry credentials. Are you a certified financial planner? Are you a chartered financial consultant? In other words, I want to know if this person is, has really sunk his or her teeth into the industry because these certifications, these credentials, yeah. are not easily attained. It, it yeah. requires a tremendous amount of work to yeah. uh, capture these credentials. Um, I, I want to know about their approach to financial planning. I want to know if um, uh, they're buying stocks and bonds. Are they buying uh, mutual funds? Are they buying insurance products? Are they holistic? Are they going to present you with a comprehensive financial plan? Yeah. I can line up 10 different financial advisors, Roy, and there may be 10 different approaches. Yeah. And that, that approach may not be consistent with what you expect. 
um, how about will I be working with you personally or uh, will I be working with one of your team members? <laughs> so, so many practices are so large that it's improbable that one financial advisor can address the needs of each and every one of uh, their clients. Okay, yeah. well, I want to know if I can get along with this person. Yeah. And, of course, one of the more obvious questions is, uh, tell me how you charge. Uh, is it fee-based? Is yeah. it um, uh, commission? Uh, is it fee-only? And, and I go over a lot of these items and, uh, of course, much greater detail in my upcoming book. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's all designed to arm the consumer, the investor, with as many tools as he can, can, can capture. And, uh, Roy, it's important to understand that there are three variables that uh, every investor, every consumer has to um, uh, take a real, real hard look at. First is understanding that you can be scammed. Everybody yeah. can be scammed. Yeah. Nobody is, is, is perfect, and we get taken in. Um, uh, one of the more famous con men of the 20th century, a guy named Simon Lovell, uh, he, he, he spent time in jail, uh, and he got out, and he said, uh, I'm going to write a book, and he wrote a book, and uh, Simon Lovell says, uh, I love it when someone tells me they can't be conned because in my mind, they're already halfway to being conned. So admit it, we're not perfect. We, I can be conned. I have been conned, and I wrote a book about it. Uh, two, as I mentioned earlier, please resist the temptation to buy on emotion. Yeah. It's, it's, it's easier said than done, but financial decisions have hard lines, and emotions have very, very little space for uh, making decisions. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I guess the third would be uh, um, to uh, uh, make certain that you have your needs focused. Make sure that yeah. you, you are being um, uh, truly informed. You arm yourself with appropriate information. I encourage people to um, uh, capture some concepts. And there's probably only seven concepts, general concepts, that a person should familiarize themselves with. Yeah. But armed with those concepts, not being an expert, you're probably going to do okay. At yeah. least you're going to have a cursory understanding, and you'll be able to communicate effectively with, um, with your advisor. Well, you certainly must have your own personal uh, financial objectives, like do you want to take a lot of risk or, you know, do you want... Yeah stable growth or obviously if you haven't thought about it yourself and have firmly in mind what you're seeking you're not going to be a very effective client <laughs> that's true that's right that's well, what right. are the exactly. three types of financial advisors to avoid you mentioned there are three types sure to avoid. sure um the first would be the the the, the real novice uh the person who has <laughs> just entered the industry roy i was that person yeah i remember this is crazy. I remember, I'm sure it was my first week in the business, a woman uh, came into my office. It was, it was more of a cubicle than an office. Yeah. And she sat down and she had a, a fairly large sum of money. Hmm. And within five minutes, she, n not knowing me, not knowing that I had only been a week in the business, yeah. she said, I have complete confidence in you, Bill. <laughs> Whatever you say, you can do. And, and I was horrified. I said, she doesn't know that a, a week ago I was in a training class. 
But if she so, said that to Bertie, he would uh, be more than happy. <laughs> that is for sure. That's yeah. for sure. So uh, uh, now, unless the novice, unless the brand new person is working with an experienced team and yeah. has a strong mentor, yeah. I would uh, I would defer to that being an, uh, an yeah. exception. Um, the second person is the person who has uh, very very strong opinions. In other words, um, yeah. uh, you know, the market is going to go to thirty thousand. You've got to get in. You you you've got to be <laughs> full in. Or the person who is a, a perma bear and said, "Oh my God, but the last thing you want to do is own uh, equities today. You got to yeah. get out. We got to short these stocks. We got to stay in cash." There are some very bright people out there. There's Jeremy Siegel who wrote a book, um, uh, "Stocks for the Long Run," and, and he's an absolute bull. He thinks we're we're going to the moon. Yeah. He's a very bright guy. He's a professor at Wharton. Hmm. And then there's uh, conversely, people like Jim Rogers, Jim Rogers, who was George Soros' uh, partner um, yeah. a couple of decades ago and made a billions of dollars, yeah. he said, your money is better off in farmland than uh, stocks. Get out. Yeah. Who do you believe? Who do you well, believe? I got this this guy named Harry Dent told us that uh, at the end oh, of yeah. last year, the Dow would be at 3,000, I think, or something like that. Uh, uh, Roy, you're a student. Uh, I know Harry. I've met him in the past, and I've heard him speak. And he makes a very compelling case. He's yeah, in his chart, and he works with demographics. And uh, Yeah, he likes it. Very compelling. So and, what's the, the third, third type of advisor? The third person is, is, is the salesy person. Uh, <laughs> I, I encourage people, do not accept invitations to go to dinner or lunch where someone is going to be featuring a, a specific product yeah. or uh, some type of service. And here's how you determine the salesy versus the non-salesy. The non-salesy person is going to focus on you as a client, as an investor. That person is going to ask you questions that the salesy person won't. Yeah. The salesy person has an agenda, has a security, has something in mind that he or she wants to sell you. I, I don't want to be sold. <laughs> you bet. You bet. I don't want to be sold. I want I want my problems to be solved. And the yeah. only way an advisor can help me solve problems is by asking me a lot of questions about who I am, how I feel about money, tell me more about your family bill. So those three, the strongly opinionated, the salesy, and the novice, Right off the bat, let's um, let, let's uh, caution that uh, uh, we, we would probably prefer to do with someone who is more professional. Yeah. Well, I thought the federal government and the financial services industry uh, had laws and regulations in place to protect us from predators. Can't we rely <laughs> upon fraud advisories from the SEC or from industry associations? The <laughs> uh, simple answer is no. Uh, the fact of the matter is this is one of the most highly regulated businesses, industries in the country. Um, you, an advisor is hard-pressed to send out any outgoing correspondence without someone checking it yeah. first. So you would think, Roy, very uh, uh, deftly put, my goodness, FINRA and the SEC and various state uh, uh, corporation commissions, yeah. uh, they, 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 got, they got this covered. Well, they don't. Uh, there are still too many miscreants who are um, uh, going to um, skip the law. 
and get beyond the, their, their compliance departments. Yeah. Uh, now, Finn, i, I got to tell you, the overwhelming majority of financial advisors do the right thing. Yeah. They're uh, astute. They're intelligent. They are uh, very, very honest. Um, uh, the overwhelming majority. But God, God help you if you're in the company of someone who doesn't uh, display those attributes. Yeah. Uh, your money is at risk, as you mentioned earlier on the show. Your money is at risk. So how best can you and I spot a fraud? What uh, What are the three faceless Madoffs, and what are some common threads that link fraudsters like Bernie Madoff, Carlo okay. uh, Ponzi, and, and as President Bush used to call him Kenny Boy Lay, <laughs> Bernie <laughs> Eber, some of these other... <laughs> That's right. That's right. There's a string of them. Now, those are the famous ones. Yeah. Those are the ones that make the national worldwide news. Yeah, those I'm are the ones concerned. that get caught. That's right. That, 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 well, that's true. Yeah. I'm more concerned with the ones who are next door, uh, yeah. the ones who are in our community. And uh, you know what? Uh, they are there. Yeah. Um, spotting a fraud. Um they are so good at this. Uh, Bernie, let's take Bernie Madoff for a moment. Yeah. Uh, I truly believe that he was absolutely sociopathic, yeah. uh, a, a habitual liar. I don't think his wife knew anything about it. No. And I don't believe his two sons knew anything about it either. Yeah. That's how subtle and how uh, devious that mind is. There must so have the been some accountant that worked for him that uh, you know helped him fudge the, the books. Well, I would think that knew about it. <laughs> it, it, it uh, uh, there was uh, there was a go-to guy who cooked the books, who fabricated statements, who uh, distributed the statements, yeah. and everyone thought that they were fine. Everything was doing uh, yeah. very very well until the housing uh, bubble and yeah. people wanted redemptions. He, he couldn't support it. He, yeah. he couldn't feed that lion. So I, I guess the, the the best way to uh, uh, spot the frauds are number one, understanding that you can uh, be had, uh, avoiding the temptations to buy on emotion, and arming yourself with, at the very least, a general understanding of some financial concepts. And and I know that is difficult for for some people, maybe a lot of people. Um, my wife, God bless her, her mind doesn't work this way. And I, when, when I'm meeting with my financial advisor, I'll say, okay, Rita, um, you got to sit in on, in on this because I want you to understand. Yeah. She says, I, I don't want to understand. She <laughs> says, I have you. Yeah. I said, well, I'm flattered, but you may not have me forever. You yeah. have to understand what Julianne is, is describing here. She says, yeah, but I, I don't want to. I don't want to. Okay, I'm going to challenge people just like my wife, Rita, to find out a little bit more, yeah. to inform themselves a little bit better, yeah. so at the very least they can have a an intelligent conversation with someone um, and ask appropriate questions. Yeah, and it, it, I would think that would be the same, of course, uh, with our aged mothers and fathers who have some assets uh, uh, to protect oh them goodness. from the scammers. They seem to be a primary... Uh, target of scammers, elder people that uh, have some assets. Um, That is one of the most nefarious uh, types of activities among these scammers. They prey upon people who are vulnerable. Let's consider people who are are vulnerable. Who are they? Uh, They're people who are older. 
Um, There are people who perhaps live by themselves. Um, Women outlive um, their husbands. We know that. Uh, I I have so many examples of older women being, you know, getting a phone call and being introduced to someone and uh, all of a sudden part or all of their wealth has uh, has been taken. Um, And it's interesting. Uh, I, I love your your market, uh, the folks who are middle-aged, because folks who are middle-aged, when I was middle-aged, I, I looked in on my mom, and uh, yeah. uh, I encouraged so many of your listeners to look in on your older parents. Yeah. Um, you, you, we assume that they're doing okay with their checkbooks and with their brokerage accounts. Yeah. Don't assume that. No. Do your mom and dad a courtesy by asking if they'd like to have a conversation. Uh, and everyone's a little bit different about their finances. I understand that. Some people yeah. are more private than others. But there might might be a point where um, uh, you want to get duplicate statements. Yeah. Uh, there might be a point where you just want to drop in on mom and uh, see what she's up to and yeah. ask her if she has any new friends. Or, Mom, tell me a little bit more about the financial advisor I heard you uh, talk about previously. I've not met him. I've not met her. I'd love an opportunity to say hello. Just doing so many of those common sensible things, uh, it's it's more than a courtesy. It's it's an imperative. Well, let's talk a bit about your upcoming book, The Madoffs Among Us, How to Spot a Fraud, Make Better Financial Decisions, and Protect Your Future. Uh, How soon will your book be available? What's the estimated... uh, date on that? Uh, probably late this year, early 2018. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm very flattered that uh, a literary agent is uh, representing me to some of the major publishing houses. Oh. And um, yeah, their expectation is that this is going to be um, not only a very important topic, but one that can really um, improve people's abilities to ward off all of these uh, uh, scam artists and fraudsters. So I'm very excited about it. We're early, Roy, so I I, I appreciate you uh, inviting me as a guest, but uh, hopefully we'll have another chance to speak. Well, uh, yeah, we'll definitely like to have you back when your book comes out, but uh, your promotional material says you're also available as a speaker and consultant. How best can an interested listener contact you and uh, learn more about you? Do you have a website they can go to? Or, uh... Yes, thank you. It's it's BillFrankavella.com, and if you can sell that, uh, you get an A. You go right to the front of the class. Selling these so on right now, so I guess maybe <laughs> <laughs> or, or you can Google Madoffs Among Us, and it will um, direct you to my uh, to my website. Okay, for the uninformed, B-I-L-L-F-R-A-N-C-A-V-I-L-L-A dot com, right? That's correct. Thank you. Okay. You got yeah, it. Well, to conclude to today's program, I'd like to relay what happened to my wife and me the other day. <clears throat> now, I don't consider myself or my wife either elderly or gullible, but the phone rang, Gloria and my wife answered, and a strange man enthusiastically proclaimed, Congratulations, you have just won a Powerball random drawing for $1.2 million cash plus a new Mercedes. Now, I don't know <laughs> if you give somebody a million to win cash. I don't know why they need to throw in a Mercedes. <laughs> and then he asked us, what color of Mercedes would you prefer? Oh, no. My wife oh, called no. me to the phone to listen in, 
and Glory advised the man that we had not recently purchased the Powerball ticket, but he informed us that that didn't matter. The drawing was completely random, which makes a lot of sense. It's, uh, Powerball would be giving out prizes to people that didn't buy tickets, but then uh, then he attempted to solicit personal information, both of which I, uh, most of which I refused to provide. And then he told us that all we needed to do was go to our local Walmart and obtain a money order for $89, which they would be around to pick up. And I'm not certain I understood, but I think he said the $89 was to cover the potential tax liability on the gift, which is rather modest, given it was a $1.2 million award. At that point, we immediately hung up the phone. And any time someone calls you and asks for money in order to obtain more money, beware. And frankly, I'm surprised this scam artist didn't ask for more than $89. But I guess the mm-hmm. research showed this was the best amount to ask for, not too much to scare the elderly away. And $89 a piece from enough suckers certainly adds up. And the problem is there are a lot of scams out there that are far more sophisticated than this guy who was calling from Las Vegas, by the way, and to protect you. <laughs> Protect your family's life savings and that of your aging parents. I highly recommend when uh, Bill's book is available that you uh, preview and purchase The Madoffs Among Us. And uh, we'll let you know when it becomes available. We'll love to have uh, Bill back at that time to talk more about the book. And in the meantime, I'd, I'd check on Bill's website, BillFrankavilla.com. And thank you so much, Bill, for joining us today uh, to alert us of all the financial scammers out there. Well, Roy, it's uh, it's been a pleasure. You're a gentleman, and I appreciate the invitation. I look forward to speaking again soon. And best of success with your book when you you get Thank that you uh, literary agent to find a good publisher for you. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. Well, to conclude today's program, we're going to talk about a dire health challenge that millions of us will face during our second half of life, and I'm talking about type 2 diabetes, also known as adult-onset diabetes, And unfortunately, diabetes is a subject that can't be ignored because some 29 million Americans are living with diabetes today and another 86 million are pre-diabetic, most of us unaware that we may be charging down the road to full-fledged diabetes. And today in America, there are 73,000 diabetic-related amputees. Poorly managed diabetes can lead to amputation of toes, legs, even fingers, and in some cases, multiple amputation surgeries are required, sometimes accompanied by severe post-amputation complications like heart attack, blood clots, slow wound healing, pneumonia, depression, even phantom limb pain, and not to mention the diabetes left untreated can lead to full or partial blindness. And so if you or a loved one has been diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, it's not something to ignore or mess around with. And uh, my next guest, certified holistic nutrition coach and author, Denise uh, Pansertz, I mispronounced her name, sorry, was diagnosed with an advanced form of type 2 diabetes when she was in her 40s, and doctors prescribed four insulin shots every day, ouch, along with a handful of medication and told her that she would be insulin dependent for the rest of her life. Well, guess what? Denise uh, defied the odds and was able to reverse her diabetes 
diabetes through holistic life changes, and she's here to tell us how she did it and how you or a loved one can have similar success overcoming the disease, all the while maintaining joyful and energetic uh, a joyful and energetic lifestyle. And Denise Panzerts is was a diabetic who was angered about being burdened with the disease tired of taking those medications. She fought back using her own prior background in the laboratory industry where she was a Six Sigma expert by launching into an exhaustive research for ways to self-heal and defying the medical community. She's now insulin and drug-free and her stated mission is to guide others to self-heal. She's a certified in holistic nutrition and homeopathy. Uh, she's a national diabetes reversal expert, inspiring others as a lifestyle coach, speaker, and author. And just this past April, she released the second edition of her definitive book, The Virgin Diabetic, Reverse the Effects of Type 2 Diabetes, Reduce Medication, and Improve Your Glucose Levels. And hello, Denise Panserts, and welcome. Congratulations on your heroic and successful battle against this all-too-common disease. Well, thank you, Roy. I enjoy uh, uh, looking forward to talking about it today. Um, even though diabetes is a horrible disease, um, what I quickly learned is you, you have to walk away and, and step away from the anger and the depression, you know, once you're diagnosed with a chronic disease, because that could really just sabotage any efforts that you have. Yeah, that's true. Well, let's start with a basic. What is type 2 diabetes, and how does it differ from type 1, and what are the primary causes? Now, who among us are most susceptible to being diagnosed with type 2 diabetes at middle age? Well, uh, well, I'll make it simple. So type 1 diabetes seems really to be more of an autoimmune disease, oh. and they're working on a cure. Uh, I know we've, they're working diligently. We're not even sure exactly what causes type 1 diabetes. There's a lot of um, possible ideas, but no one's been able to put their finger on that. And unfortunately, it can start with even infants with yeah. type 1 diabetes. So it's, it is a very terrible disease. The adult onset, or what we've become known as type 2 diabetes, typically uh, started, you know, in your 40s and your 50s. Yeah. Unfortunately, now we're actually seeing it in young teens. Huh. Uh, and really, I think it, it's a combination of things. Uh, it is a metabolic issue. Everybody calls it the sugar disease. Yeah. It really is our metabolism has been affected. And so we need to think about what it's been affected by. Uh, mostly, as you start looking from the 1980s on uh, to current day, yeah. You look at how our lifestyle has changed, how our food has changed, so how it's made, how it's grown, um, chemicals that we use for it, and then how food, it, it sounds strange, but how we manufacture food. So what we know is processed foods, if it comes yeah. in a bag or a box, right? <laughs> So um, I think, you know, and it could be other environment 
environmental issues that could also be pushing us or at least, you know, moving us in that direction. And I think it's more than one issue. And uh, I think and it also includes sitting on our butts and not getting any exercise. Exactly, exactly, right? I mean, because we're all sitting down on our phones and our computers in front of that TV. Um, but, you know, throw in a little bit of a genetic factor in there yeah. where uh, many of us may be predisposed uh, to diabetes in a way where our genes are saying, okay, I can't take this lifestyle anymore, and here's that warning sign. Now we start hearing about pre-diabetes. Oh, I see. So uh, diabetes, a couple ways that uh, people are now learning about getting identified and either diagnosed or uh, getting that note from that doctor saying, hey, you got to yeah. watch it, is yeah. you have your fasting glucose tested. Yeah. And one time, because it might be a little bit above 100, because they, they like to have it below 100, yeah. doesn't necessarily mean you're diabetic, but it may give you a, a pause and a reason to be checked again. Yeah. And then we have that A1C test where it looks at your average glucose over two to three months, mm-hmm. a period of time. And so we start looking at several different lab tests. Yeah. hopefully give us that picture of, you know, does it look like we're moving in that direction of diabetes? Well, although Mayo Clinic says there's no cure for diabetes, I looked that up, uh, you, you were able to get off insulin and medications and lower your glucose uh, level through a natural, holistic approach. How did you do it? Tell us your story. So, actually, I was very determined because I was not going to spend the rest of my life on drugs and insulin. Um, I really had to sit down and I looked at what my lifestyle was. And I was always, you know, in the corporate world, on the run, missing missing breakfast, missing lunch, running through the drive-thrus, right? It's the typical American, right? Uh, So I had to look at that and say, okay, this is what has now pushed me into a chronic disease. So... What if I change all of that? And I really looked at what was causing me to have high glucose levels. Um, You know, I I had been slender all my life just until the last couple of years before I was diagnosed. So, uh, you know what? All of that could be reversed by going back to whole fresh foods. So I went back and I do a lot more cooking with fresh foods than, you know, like when I was first married, I used to do that as a good wife. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, we fell into step with everyone else and we ate out a lot. So we kind of dialed it back in and I started working out. I am not a gym rat. I am not at the gym for an hour and a half every day. But I do get in exercise through yeah. walking, yeah. you know, four times a week at the gym for 45 yeah. minutes. Yeah. It, doesn't, it doesn't take that much to make some of those changes that we need to improve our health. You're now a coach and mentor to others with type 2 diabetes, and you tell us that many folks express fear when you tell them that they need to change their diets to lower sugar in their <laughs> blood. What are the diabetics afraid of? Well, uh, that's funny because I also have a recent article about that with fear. Um, We're afraid to um, give up our favorite foods because we love the taste of what we're eating. We're all about foods. It's such a social thing. Uh, We're also worried about that the healthy foods that we're going to be directed to eat, that they're all going to be boring and tasteless, (laughs) like we're eating cardboard, right? 
that I, really, and that was what I was angered over. I thought, um, I don't know if you're familiar in the Chicago area, is Portillo's, one of the fast food restaurants oh, yeah, there, and they're really. known for their hot dogs and chili dogs, and yeah. that was my favorite place, right? <laughs> and I, I was afraid I could never go to Portillo's again. Uh, but you know what I found out after I went through that process of change and realized that the foods that I'd been missing out on that would have kept me healthy actually taste wonderful. Yeah. I went back to get a hot dog one day and an Italian sausage and realized it was greasy and it was salty. Yeah, once you uh, change that basic lifestyle and your approach to, to eating those foods that you used to savor don't taste so great, do they? <laughs> No, they really don't. I mean, even strawberries lost their taste for years. And then yeah. after I kind of cleaned up my act, I was like, oh, my gosh, strawberries have more sweetness to them than I remembered in the last 20 years. I know on your website you offer posted free recipes for healthy yet enjoyable eating. How do our listeners access those recipes? Well, very easily. So if they go to reversemydiabetes.net, yeah. And go to my link that is, says articles. There's oh. some recipes in there. Uh, there's also a couple recipes in my book, The Virgin Diabetic, which is available on Amazon. Yeah. Uh, so a few in there. And then I also, in my coaching programs, to make that transition as easy as possible, is I'm providing a lot of great recipes. And the other thing is that I love about my clients is if I'm kind of teetering on a recipe, I'll send it to them and they'll try it. Mm. And then they'll let me know if this is a keeper or not. So I love to have that interaction with my clients. So we get everybody healthy through my program. Well, that's great. Well, here's a challenge for folks like me, the borderline diabetic who loves to eat out, often one meal each day. I'm getting frustrated with restaurant food. I order what seems like a healthy meal, but my glucose uh, still spikes. How do you control your intake of unnecessary carbohydrates when you're dine, dining out? <laughs> that's always been a challenge for me. You, you know what? It's a huge challenge. And I know everyone looks at the easy answer that it's, you you know, you're going to eat fish, you're going to eat salads. Yeah. Um, we really have to watch fried food. So here's one quick little secret. My husband follows my diet, even though he's not diabetic, but he loves to go out for chicken wings. And oh. predominantly those are breaded and fried. Mm. And so those are the two worst things for us uh, to eat, whoever, no matter who you are. And so what we do now is we find restaurants that are willing to uh, not put the breading on there, and they'll either grill or broil or bake them. So you mm. still get that favorite food. And to be honest, now the wait staff comes back to us, and they're like, we're now ordering our food that way. And I have to tell you, it tastes so much better than throwing this stuff in a deep fryer. So you can talk to restaurants then and the they can help accommodate you so that you can have stuff you like, but that's not so bad for you. <laughs> no, exactly. And, you know, uh, that is one of the things in my coaching program that we do. We go to restaurants together and we learn how to order food that's still going to taste good, but be within your uh, diet and your new lifestyle. Well, let's talk about your book, The Virgin Diabetic, now in its uh, second edition. What uh, inspired you to write the book and update it to the second edition? And how do you describe your diabetes mission, as you call it in the, in the book? 
<laughs> well, I'll tell you, I started writing uh, because I was angry when I was diagnosed, and yeah. I started journaling because it's just a healthy way to work through issues. And as I was putting my notes down, I realized I can't be the only one that's frustrated and angered by being a type 2 diabetic. And I felt I was still young. I had a lot of years ahead of me. So uh, I put all my notes together. Um, In my book, you're going to get all kinds of detailed personal information on me what I went through, uh, lab tests, medication, um, even some of my little shortcomings and my failures, and how did I come through and get past all of that? Yeah, and to well, me, that great. was motivation for yeah, others that, to do the same great. thing. Well, where should the listener go to uh, buy your uh, book, The Virgin Diabetic, the second edition? Is it? Uh, they can go right on Amazon.com. Uh, they can uh, get it in ebook form um, or or the hard copy, uh, soft cover. And uh, I'll tell you, I get feedback from people all the time that say, "I read your book two and three times. I did everything you did. My doctor's lowering my insulin now. My doctor's lowering my medication now." So this little book I didn't realize was this powerful. Oh, that's great. So not everybody uh, can get off the insulin. Completely, but I guess some can reduce, and others, even like you, get completely off the insulin. But, uh, I guess it all depends on the person. But uh, absolutely, absolutely, and you know what? For those I've worked with diabetics that have been insulin diabetic uh, for over twenty years, we've been able to at least reduce the amount of insulin yeah. and just get them overall in a much healthier um, way than that what they yeah, were before. So they're happy health of a frame of mind and happiness frame of mind goes such a long way to uh, permanently reducing diabetes or other challenge, health challenges. But uh, Absolutely. In conclusion, I think by now all of us are convinced of the seriousness of a type 2 diagnosis, a diabetes diagnosis, and it's not a disease where we can go on eating and living our lives as we always have, expecting that somehow our high blood pressure uh, or high blood sugar will go away. But the good news is a type 2 diabetes diagnosis does not have to ruin your quality of life, not now and not forever, uh, through Denise uh, Panzer's methods, as described in her book, The Virgin Diabetic, second edition. And this is on the back, uh, back cover of her book. You can discover how to stabilize your glucose and lower your A1C naturally, which foods can be your friend in helping to regulate your blood sugar, strategies that enable you to avoid increasing, perhaps even reducing or eliminating drugs and insulin, and how to evaluate if diabetes side effects Um, The drugs outweigh the benefits, which is such a concern these days with drugs. And if you or a close friend or loved one has been diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, uh, Denise Pansert's book certainly sounds to me like a wise investment. And thank you, Denise, for your most informative comments. Well, thank you, Roy. I enjoyed it so much. Have a great day. And best of success and sale of your second edition. And that's our program for today. Please join us next week when my guests will advise us how to avoid financial scammers like good old Bernard Madoff. <laughs> See you then on Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. You've been listening to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, hosted by Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of both A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, and Wake Up, Captain and Crew, Restart Your Engines. 
You can learn more about Roy and his Middle Age Renewal Training System by visiting his website, middleagerenewal.com. 